Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. chapter 10 verses 24 through 39 students are not greater than their teacher and slaves are not greater than their master students are to be like their teacher and slaves are to be like their master and since I the master of the household have been called the prince of demons the members of my household will be called by even worse names now this is Jesus speaking here so don't be afraid of them for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight what is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This has always been a challenging passage for me. Because it talks about strife. It talks about if we follow Christ, or if I follow Jesus, am I going to be experiencing strife? And do we realize, really realize the cost of following Jesus and making him Lord and Savior of our lives when we make that decision? That, yeah, there is a cost. 
the first thing we've got to realize, this is the most important decision you're ever going to make in your life. We make a lot of decisions every day. But the most important decision we'll ever make in our life is whether we're going to follow Jesus and make him Lord and Savior of our lives. Now, I'm going to be a little bit bold this morning. How many of you have made that decision to follow Jesus? Raise your hand up. Say amen. Amen. Okay. Do you know something? In some places, if you did that in public, it's going to bring about persecution, and it may even cost you your life. In 2022, the advocacy group Open Doors said that at least 360 million Christians experienced what they called high levels of persecution and discrimination. 360 million. That was 20 million higher than in 2021. This group also estimated that the number of Christians killed for their faith rose to 5,898 in 2022. That was up from 4,761 in 2021. According to a report by Global Christian Relief in Africa in January 2022, 16 Christians are murdered every day for following Jesus. 16 a day. So in the two hours that we're here spending in worship and Sunday school, at least one Christian has been killed for their faith. And most people think that's a low estimate because a lot of these countries don't report those deaths. Now here in our culture, in our world, in the United States, in Parkersburg, we're not necessarily facing that physical death for proclaiming our faith in Christ. We're not, it's not gotten that bad yet in our culture. But the way things are going, I, I don't know. We do have discrimination and persecution and name calling against Christians who profess their faith and stand up for the truth that they believe. But the thing of it is we have to beat back that darkness that's pervading our culture by reflecting the light of Christ and his love, regardless of the cost. And it's going to cost us some. Jesus is telling us in this passage that, that a time's coming when our faith may cause strife for us in this world, even in our household. So you've made that decision. What now? Well, coming to, trying to come up with a title for this, it would have been what now? You've made that decision to follow Christ. You know you're going to experience some strife, some conflict with culture, with the world, maybe even within your family. So what now? How do we deal with those things? How do we deal with that strife? And this morning I just want to share with you how I look at it. You can take it for what you want and see if that may help you deal with some of this strife. Um, I want to share with you uh, quote or a, a thing that's been kind of, I've heard it contributed to John Wesley. I've also seen that it's been contributed to other people through the ages, through church history of, of 
how to deal with things within the church, how to deal with things within culture, within our families. And it's this, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, harmony. But in all things, love. In our essentials, we have to have unity. We have to have something that we hold on to and say, this is true. There's some things that we just, just have to maintain as essentials in our faith. And for me, one of the first and foremost things comes from John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus answered and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For me, that's an essential. Jesus is saying he's the way, he's the truth, and, and he's the life. And no one's going to the Father, no one's going to, the, going to heaven without having that relationship with Jesus Christ. Our cultures today wants to tell us, though, that we need to be, we need to compromise some of our essentials. Uh, Jesus was loving and loved everybody. Yeah, he did. But Jesus didn't eat with sinners and tax collectors because he wanted to appear inclusive. Jesus didn't eat with sinners and tax collectors because he wanted to be tolerant and accepting. He ate with them to call them to a changed and fruitful life. He ate with them to call them to die to themselves and to live for him. His call of transformation of life wasn't just to, it wasn't a call of just to affirm their identity or to condone their sin. His call was a call for transformation. Sin is sin. Sin is sin is sin. Always has been, always will be. What do we know that sin is? This tells us what sin is. We can't change that. That's not up to us to change and decide what sin is. Sin is anything that separates our relationship from God. Jesus calls us to a changed life. He can bring about change in our life to get us away from sin. And Jesus, I think, when we look at John chapter 8, Jesus gives us an example of how he felt about sin. This is the passage where the woman's caught in adultery, and so people want to stone her. And they bring her to him. And this is how that story ends. Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus didn't just stop it. Neither do I. I don't condemn you. He didn't say, Go ahead and do what you want to do. You can't help it. Jesus said, go and sin no more. You've met me. You have a relationship with me. Go and sin no more. A relationship with Jesus can change your life. The work of the Holy Spirit can help us overcome sin if we let it. Our passage in Romans today, Paul's telling us, since we've died to sin, 
How can we continue to live in it? He says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so the sin might lose its power over our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. He ends that passage today with, so you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of the sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So I think, you know, that if we're saying we can't change our lifestyles or we can't stop sinning, what we're really saying is there is that we don't believe in the transformative power of God through Jesus Christ. We're saying we don't believe that God can change lives if we say we can't not sin. Our cultures, our churches, our denominations have become so woke for lack of a better term, or progressive. So many people are so easily offended and ready to place blame and and attack and persecute someone with a differing opinion, especially someone who holds a Christian or biblical worldview. I think we're entering an age Jesus speaks of here, of there going to be divisiveness, There's going to be name-calling. Even to the point of dividing families, biological families and church families. People take such divisive views of someone with a different viewpoint to the point of attacking them. It may not be physical attacks, but it still attacks. I saw a a neat quote by Ben Carson kind of addressing this. He said that just because somebody happens to disagree with you about something doesn't mean that they become your mortal enemy and that you should should try to destroy them and destroy their life and destroy their families. Another neat quote I came across was from Morgan Freeman. Um, Just because I disagree with you doesn't mean I hate you. We need to reclaim that in our society. Our society has forgotten how to agree to disagree. And I think as followers of Christ, Jesus has encouraged us here, you're going to have some disagreements. But don't compromise what you believe in. And especially don't compromise the truth. In John chapter 18, Jesus says, He's talking to, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's kind of interesting in in the one song there that we did of how often truth was in the first stanza of each verse. So Jesus said to those who believed in him, if we say we believe in him, this is what he's telling us. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, 
and the truth will set you free. So the question is, what's truth? What's truth? That's been a question for a long time. Pilate, when he was, when Jesus was before Pilate in his trial, he even asked that question. So Pilate asked Jesus, so, you, so you're a king? And Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. And then he went out again to the people and told them, he's not guilty of any crime. Again, we have to look at John 14, verse 6, where Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. What's truth? Jesus is the truth. So how do we know the truth? How do we stand up to the truth? First and foremost is being in that relationship with Christ. Being, having that personal relationship with Jesus is how we start knowing the truth. Because when we know him, we know the truth. How do, we, how, how do we know someone? We spend time with them. We've got to spend time with Jesus and know Jesus and have that relationship with him. We have to practice spiritual disciplines of prayer, meditation, fasting, gathering together with other believers in worship and in study of God's word. There's, there's a big one. Truth is in here. So many in our culture, in our churches, want to pass a lot of this off as archaic, something we can forget about in this modern age. This is all old. But that's the truth. This is truth. We need to be in Scripture. Every time I think of... of giving a message and, and talking about being in God's word, I think of Helen and how she always told me, Sam, the Holy Spirit and God can't use, use it if it's not in here. It's not in here. We've got to know that word. We've got to spend time in the word. And God really pressed me as I was preparing for this message of, we live in an age where it's so easy to be in God's word. Um, we don't have to carry a Bible around. I've got an app on here that has the Bible in I don't know how many different translations and, and everything. Instead of sitting, waiting on a doctor's appointment, instead of scrolling through Facebook or playing Candy Crush, I should be looking at God's Word and filling up, up here with God's Word. That's how we know him. That's how we know the truth. Because Paul in writing to Timothy told him, said, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Again, Paul didn't just stop and say, all scripture is God-breathed. He told us what it's used for. 
It's useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuking, if need be. It's useful for correcting, mostly correcting us. And it's useful for training in righteousness. So, yeah, what do we do? We're in this relationship. We've said yes to Christ. We know we're going to face strife. But we hold on to the truth. We hold on to that relationship with Jesus. We die to ourself. As our, past, our gospel message says today, we die to ourself and we take up our cross. We turn our life, everything in our life, over to him. We practice those spiritual disciplines and we study our scripture. The thing about scripture, though, it doesn't give us a set example or a set thing to say or do for every, every situation we're going to be in. But it does give us guidance on how we're supposed to live our lives. For me, one of the mantras or, or key passages that I try to live by in dealing with things comes from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And this is what God t tells us. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We're in a situation. We're to act justly. We're to love mercy. We're to walk humbly with God. And that means putting God above everything else. Realizing that we're not God. God's God. Sometimes we get worried about being offensive. Jesus is telling us here that he was offensive to some people. They called him names. He came to bring, he knew that his message, and if we followed him, was going to bring division, was going to bring strife. But he tells us, hold on. Give it to me. And I think as we worry about whether we're going to cause somebody to feel offended or whatever, we have, have to think that we don't need to worry about who will be offended if you speak the truth. We have to worry about who will be misled, who will be deceived, and who will be destroyed if you don't speak the truth. We have to speak the truth. We can't compromise. But we do this with the realization that we're all sinners saved by grace. You know what? That's the good news. That's the good news. God loves us so much that Jesus went to the cross to take all of our sin so that we can be in a restored relationship with God. And we have to share that. We have to share that regardless of the cost. In the passage from Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, But if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak his name, his words burn in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. And then he goes on to say, But the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. Before him my persecutors will stumble. They cannot defeat me. They will fail and be thoroughly humiliated, and their dishonor, dishonor will never be forgotten. And he goes on to say, Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord, for though I was poor and needy, 
He rescued me from my oppression. Jeremiah felt that persecution when he was given the message God gave him to give. But he held on. Now, I'm not going to say that there haven't been folks who have been hurt by Christians. They've heard a message of condemnation. They've heard a message, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. There's truth in that. But is that the way we're supposed to present the good news? How about we share the good news with love? We let people know that we're all sinners saved by grace. And if we turn our life over to Christ, he'll help take care of that sin. He will help us through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to help get that sin out of our lives. Does that mean we're going to stop sinning? No, I'm not going to tell you that. But we have a way to make that sin less and less every day if we let Christ have our life. I want to share with you an interesting thing I found that really struck me. The other day I was hanging out with a friend. This friend's a Christian but doesn't, doesn't always act like one. Some days he's in line with God's word. Some days life's struggles get the best of him. As our eyes met, I really wanted to say something about it, but decided to let the Lord speak to his heart, knowing nothing I could say would have the same impact as his father's words. And so I prayed with him. After some time passed, I winked at him, and I walked away from the mirror. We're all sinners saved by grace. But we have good news to share. That even if you are a sinner, Christ is there to take away that sin and to transform your life. The, I want to share with you from the... I'll find it here. I have too many papers today. I want to end by going through this passage in Matthew from the message. I like how Peterson, it's a paraphrase of the Bible. I like how Peterson paraphrased this to make it, for me, not quite as tough. It's challenging, but it's easier to understand for me. And this is Matthew 10, 24 through 39 from the message. A student doesn't get a better desk than her teacher. A laborer doesn't make more money than his boss. Be content, pleased even, when you, my students, my harvest hands, get the same treatment I get. If they call me the master dung face, what can the workers expect? Don't be intimidated. Eventually, everything's going to be out in the open, and everyone will know how things really are. So don't hesitate to go public now. Don't be bluffed into silence by the threats of bullies. 
There's nothing they can do to your soul, your core being. Save your fear for God who holds your eternal life, body and soul, in his hands. What's the price of a pet canary? Some loose change, right? And God cares what happens to it even more than you do. He pays even greater attention to you down to the last detail, even numbering the hairs on your head. So don't be intimidated by all this bully talk. You're worth more than a million canaries. Stand up for me against world opinion, and I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. If you turn tail and run, do you think I'll cover you? Don't think I've come to make life cozy. I've come to cut, make a sharp nut knife cut between son and father, daughter and mother, bride and mother-in-law. Cut through these cozy domestic arrangements and free you for God. Well-meaning family members can be your worst enemies. If you prefer father or mother over me, you don't deserve me. If you prefer son or daughter over me, you don't deserve me. If you don't go all the way with me, though, through thick and thin, you don't deserve me. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Bowling would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Thank you, and God bless you in your life.